This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies reliever Justin Lawrence on dreams of the major leagues as a child. For me, it was always, you know, growing up like, man, if I if I just spent one day in the big leagues, that'd be enough. Then you get that one day in the big leagues. Now it's like, I want to, all right, let's get, let's get a year in the big leagues. Right. Then it's like, you see a little bit of success in your life. If I walked away from the game right now, I wouldn't be satisfied. And Drew's talking nuggets, avalanche, coach prime and more subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast, wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman podcast. Hey everybody. Welcome in. It is show number 199 coming to you Wednesday morning. That's what we're taping from my hotel room before heading down to the ballpark day game with the uh, Cleveland guardians. They've, Won their first series of the year after a 6-0 win on Monday and then a 5-1 win last night behind the local kid, Ryan Feltner. Cleveland, you know, gets a bad rap. I know that. Cleveland's a bad rap. Uh, you know, the, the mistake by the lake. It's cold. It's dreary. It's overcast. Somebody told me that the three most overcast cities in America are, and I don't know if this is in the right order, but Rochester, New York, Syracuse, New York, and Cleveland, Ohio. Know all those cities to a certain degree, been to all those cities. Uh, Syracuse was an hour north of where, from where I went to college. Rochester, I've done a couple of events there uh, many moons ago. Yeah, kind of dreary, those cities. But Cleveland... You know, it, it's kind of being revitalized a little bit. You got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know it's been here for a while. Always love going there um, when we're in town. Uh, some sneaky good restaurants. Um, so, you know, I think there's there's good in everything. You got to find it in certain cities. But uh, Cleveland maybe gets a, a bad rap that's not completely deserved. Maybe partially, but not completely. Anyhow, to baseball again and the Rockies. Um, they've been re-energized by a 24-year-old they just brought up. And I know it's a small sample size. But Brenton Doyle has been really exciting. His first game, he had a hit for about two and a half minutes. This is a funny story. I told this on the air. He, got a, he hit a, a rocket to short and... Ahmed Rosario somehow came up with it, spun, threw to first. It was bang, bang at first. And the first base umpire indicated that Doyle beat it out. So he's standing there on the bag, has a base hit, but Cleveland challenged it. And honest to goodness, I couldn't tell when we were looking at it in the booth and talking about it on television whether it was going to get reversed. It, it was really close. Anyhow, about two and a half minutes go by, it gets reversed. So the kid walks off the field. What I learned is he kept that baseball because they had thrown it out of play. He kept that baseball, plans on keeping that baseball, and then fast forward the next night on Tuesday, first time up, he hits almost a duplicate of what he had hit uh, the night before. This time, there's no question. It got through Ahmed Rosario. It came off the bat at like 105 miles an hour. And that was um, his first major league hit. Now, he would go on to have a double to deep left center. He would also have an infield hit where he could show off that elite speed he has. This guy, um, as I said, has energized the Rockies in 48 hours. 
He's a guy we saw in spring training. He passes the eyeball test. He's 6'4", about 225, looks great in the uniform. He's strong. Uh, when he was called up, he'd already hit like five home runs and about 40 at-bats down in Albuquerque. He can really run. He can really throw. He plays a very good center field. The Rockies are not athletic. Not at all right now. Do you realize he had two stolen bases on Tuesday? That matched the Rockies' total for the whole season. He did it in one night. In fact, because the Rockies don't have anyone who can really run, they had only attempted four stolen bases. And along comes this kid and he gets on, not afraid to go either. You know, there are guys with speed that don't steal bases because they don't play with... um, I don't want to call it a recklessness, but they don't play with an aggressiveness that is necessary for someone to steal bases. Charlie Blackman used to steal bases, got 43 um, several years back. Obviously, he's not the same guy, nor, nor should he be. He's, in, he's moving on to his late 30s. But it's been alarming for me when you look at the composition of the Rockies roster, and they don't have people that can take advantage of the new rules that only allow a couple of disengagements. You're familiar with the rules if you listen to this podcast, if you watch baseball at all. Um, So now you bring up Brenton Doyle. And to me, it's another one of those pieces. Tovar has been here where you are looking ahead, where you're building for the future, because that's what it's about. The Rockies, as they're currently comprised, aren't good enough to compete. And they have a number of veteran players. Now, you're not going to get rid of all, all of them in one fell swoop. But the Rockies' future are guys like Doyle, guys like Tovar, guys like Zach Veen and others, maybe Hunter Goodman, that are getting developed at the minor league level. Well, Brenton Doyle has graduated, and I don't see him turning back. That's not to say he's not going to have a slump. That's not to say he's not going to get exposed. I'll tell you this much, down in Albuquerque, in whatever it was, 40, 50 at-bats, yeah, he's hitting the ball over the wall. The average looks great. He also struck out almost 40% of the time. That That's not going to work. So he's not a finished product, but he brought an element of excitement. And lo and behold, the Rockies won both games against a team in Cleveland that's not a sexy team on paper. They don't play in a great division, but a year ago they won 92 games. And they do it with typically good pitching. Well, there's also a revelation, right? And they do it because they play great defense and they run well. They steal bases. They don't hit home runs. In fact, they're the second lowest home run total uh, going into last night to Washington. The Rockies, unfortunately, right now, have not hit a ton of home runs. Don't have the roster, maybe, to be among the elite in hitting home runs. But that's what the game is now. It's a power game, and also it can be a speed game. So, again, really excited to to see Brenton Doyle swing the bat. Really excited to see his fearlessness uh, on the base pass. He did give the Rockies a jolt. I'll tell you who else has given the Rockies a jolt because you know this sport is always going to be about pitching. Ryan Feltner on this road trip 
has now thrown 11 and two-thirds innings and two starts, one against a Philadelphia lineup that is quite formidable, and then against this Cleveland lineup that, yes, I just said doesn't hit the ball over the wall, but they have a number of good hitters led by Jose Ramirez and a number of guys that do not strike out. They put the ball in play and they run well. So they have a way of putting pressure on you in a different manner than, say, Philadelphia does. Ryan Feltner, who's from Cleveland, the Cleveland area, Cuyahoga Falls, grew up going to Guardian Games at Progressive Field. He comes home in front of a ton of friends and family. You know the narrative. And he performed splendidly. So now it's 11 and two-thirds on this road trip. You're not going to pitch again. Where he did not allow an earned run. There was an unearned run scored against him last night against Philadelphia. Five and two-thirds shutout yesterday, six innings. He is growing right in front of our eyes and has the ability to be a you know, top three in a rotation, I'm talking about a good rotation, performer. Noah Davis, maybe a slightly smaller sample size, but Noah Davis has performed well in back-to-back starts. And you're seeing, again, a guy with stuff, not doing it with mirrors, a guy where you look at the stuff and you go, yeah, that works. Good arm, big arm, able to spin the baseball, So in a year that's been dark out of the gate for the Rockies, and I'm not suggesting that that this team all of a sudden is going to turn around and become a 90-plus win team. There's a process to getting back to where they want to be. But that process is going to include names like Doyle, and certainly from a pitching standpoint, in a rotation standpoint, guys like Ryan Feltner, guys like Noah Davis, and... That's what is really encouraging right now for the Rockies. The other part that's encouraging is the bullpen. When have we ever said that the bullpen for the Rockies is a strength? It's been very unusual that 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 type of phrase would be uttered. But the Rockies' bullpen, in again, a, a season so far that has not provided a lot of wins, Rockies' bullpen, by and large, has been really good. And it's been led by Justin Lawrence, who's our guest a little bit later on. So we'll get into that. want to jump around, um, as I like to do, Avalanche. As we speak, uh, they're getting ready to play uh, tonight in Game 5 at home. It will be without Kale McCarr. Was not surprised that he got suspended, even though it was only deemed a two-minute penalty um, on the ice. Was not surprised that he got... um, ding for the late hit um, against Seattle. So they're going to have to win game five without McCarr. Uh, We don't know the situation without Nechuskin. And the Avalanche are getting all they want from a a deep Seattle Kraken team. Disappointing in game four that they couldn't find a way to win uh, in overtime, they dominated uh, at least quickly out of the gate the first couple of minutes of overtime, and then they give up uh, the goal, and they lose 3-2. to two. So, it's a, so it's a best of three. It's a best of three, and I just have my fingers crossed. It's hockey. The margin between winning and losing is the slimmest of any of the postseasons. We know that to be true uh, in the NHL. And um, I just hope that the obit... The obituary, if it's written for the Avalanche, 
is not, well, Landeskog was out for the whole year. They had so many injuries, and they just couldn't overcome. And then, of course, McCarr missed Game 5, and Nachuskin wasn't available for um, the series after Game 1. And it becomes, I want to say an excuse, but it becomes a, a huge disappointment because they still have um, a tremendous roster and one that is good enough to win another cup. That's going to continue on, but you just don't want to see seasons go by. And if you look at how they played, even though they were dealing with injuries from January 1st to the end of the year, they were among the two or three best teams in hockey um, from that point forward. So it comes down to uh, a best out of three with a really game uh, and deep Seattle Kraken team. My fingers um, are crossed, as are yours. Nuggets are going to play the Suns in round two. That's going to be... um, that's going to be a long series. That's going to be a hell of a series. I think many people who follow the NBA closely um, thought that once Durant went to Phoenix, that they were going to be a tough out, that they could very well be the favorite to come out of the West and not the Nuggets, who were the top team throughout the year uh, in the West, at least by record. And it appears um, that maybe it does go through Phoenix, and that's not too... Um, dismiss or disparage anything that uh, the Nuggets have accomplished. But Durant with Devin Booker, with um, still a crafty CP3, with Aiton, it's a good team. And the most encouraging thing I thought saw, thought I saw in game one, or excuse me, in series one, and in the five games that it took the, uh, the Nuggets to dispatch of, of uh, Minnesota, was the play of of Jamal Murray because he looked like the guy that uh, was in the bubble where he had a couple of 50-point games. And and Jokic needs a sidekick, needs more than that. You need Michael, Michael Porter to be really good. And then the depth of the Nuggets is stronger than the depth of the Suns. But it's going to be a hell of a series. It's going to be a hell of a series. I don't know if you've been following... What's going on in Boulder? Probably you have because Deion Sanders is all the rage, not just in, in our part of the world, but throughout college football. And it's been about Dion coming to town, selling out the spring game, for goodness sake. That never occurred. That only happens in like the Southeast, right? That happens in Georgia, Alabama, LSU, maybe in Texas. Spring games getting sold out glorified scrimmages, practices. That doesn't happen, certainly in Boulder, Colorado. Well, it did. And I went to that press conference. I told you when when Dion was hired, I don't know if there's a guy, short of if Nick Saban had left Tuscaloosa and ended up in Boulder, that I would have marched on up to Boulder to go to the press conference. So there were two guys. There was Nick Saban, and that wasn't happening. And there was Deion Sanders, and I went up there. And he's charismatic, he's riveting, he's all the things you know about him. But there's also going to be controversy, and you're starting to hear that. Because so many players have transferred, and one or two have spoken out. There's been at least one parent that spoke out about being disappointed and saying, I'm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because if, uh, I wouldn't have flattering things to say about Deion Sanders. Well, a couple of thoughts here. And I've known this 
for a long time being in sports, and, and you probably do as well. The old line about you may not want to know how the sausage is made applies. The reality of sports, especially at its highest levels, and it is super high when you're talking about major college football, power five college football, when you're speaking about a program that was moribund, that won one game last year, was non-competitive. There are teams that have losing seasons, and then there are teams that have seasons like the Buffs, where they, where they just, quite frankly, didn't belong on the same field as their opponent in the vast majority of the games. So you make a splash if you're Rick George. Somehow you are able to coerce Deion Sanders, who's become one of the hottest names in coaching, which is very, it, that's fascinating in itself to me because Deion Sanders, and I've said this before, I think on the podcast, Deion Sanders, for a 17, 18-year-old, they didn't watch him play. They didn't watch him be this two-sport phenom, Hall of Fame football player and a really good Major League Baseball player, by the way. They didn't see that. Their moms and dads did. But somehow, he's relevant today. And some of it is the social media, uh, certainly, um, where he he's a charismatic um, figure. And he resonates with a lot of young people. He arrived in Boulder. And one of the first things that he put out there on social media was basically chastising the current roster in front of them, saying, I'm bringing my luggage and, it, and it's Louis Vuitton, right? I'm bringing my luggage and, and most of y'all better get up and get on out of here. Hit the portal. I looked at that two ways. I looked at that as you know him trying to make a statement right away. And also maybe challenging those that were in the room that were part of the 1-11 season. Saying, okay, the, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. It's going to be a new culture. And I'm about winning. And you challenge those folks individually. And you, and you want to say, okay, who's tough enough from a, from a mental standpoint to say, I'll, I'll take that challenge and show that, yeah, maybe I was part of a team that didn't win. But I can be a part of a team that can win and will win. And I'm sure some of those guys, some, not many, will stick around. Because by the latest count of the 83 scholarship players, I read this report somewhere, from a year ago, 63 have transferred. 63 out of 83. That's unheard of. Of course, we're in a different age with the portal. But you shouldn't be surprised. And for those that are angered, this is what goes on. I've done a ton of games over the years, and I've sat in innumerable meetings with coaches, and especially when there is a coaching change, and you're sitting with a coach that's in his first or second year of a program. I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase or something similar to, well, we're going to have to run off some guys. We're going to have to run off a bunch of guys. You know, sometimes there's even, you know, chuckles behind it. It was the reality of major college 
athletics, but but particularly when you're talking about the the two big revenue sports, football and basketball. It takes more people to play football, right? So even before the transfer portal existed, before you could jump in and, and end up somewhere else, you know, 20 minutes later, coaches talk that way all the time. And yeah, if you're the parent or you're the kid that they want to move on from, it's not warm and fuzzy, but it's the reality of the business, in this case, of college football. It's been going on forever. And now it's easier to do that. It's easier to completely change your roster around, which Deion Sanders is doing. And you will have no issue with it if they win six or seven games next year on the way, hopefully, to becoming a 10, 11, 12 game winner in the not too distant future. Because that's your expectation as a fan. But if you're a kid, if you're a parent of a kid that gets caught up in that, I know it's not pretty, but that is the reality of, of I say sports at the major college level, that's reality of sports at, at virtually all levels, particularly college athletics. And when I say that, it's at all levels of college athletics and all sports. Coaches are paid to win and feelings get hurt, but they're going to play who they estimate to be the best player in any situation. That's the way it goes down. And you also know, specific to Deion Sanders, that he likes the spotlight. Yeah, he now lives out west, right? But he's taken to a to a cowboy hat, right? So you never are lost trying to find the head coach on the field. He's got a cowboy hat on. And this turnaround that we all hope takes place in Boulder, it's going to be about Deion Sanders. Deion will make sure of that. As I said to begin this little diatribe, you don't always want to go uh, behind the curtain. You don't always want to see how the sausage is made. Okay, back to uh, baseball and specific to uh, the Rockies and the bullpen that I had mentioned earlier. Justin Lawrence has been outstanding. And I, I want to make mention of, of a couple of things about Justin Lawrence. Well, it was a later round draft pick uh, out of a junior college in Florida, Daytona State. His first couple of years in the minor leagues, his numbers were not good. To the point where, and you'll hear this in the interview, you, you start to worry about getting released and then finding your next uh, vocation, if you will. But not only did he overcome, not just through hard work, but a lot of mental toughness, which we'll get into, but now you can see him being a major league closer. That's how far he's come. He's a terrific young man. He's a bright young man. And uh, I thought uh, all of you would appreciate getting to know Justin Lawrence a little bit better. So he's our guest this week. All right, I want to take you back to, um, you were born in Panama. How long were you actually in Panama? Only in Panama for a couple of years. Then I moved to uh, Jacksonville, Florida when I was about two and a half years old. Do you, do you have Spanish in your background? I do. My parents, uh, they're, they fully know all their Spanish and all that, and it just turned out uh, when we moved to Florida, they kind of spoke it to each other, didn't speak it to me much, 
or my other siblings growing up, but it's just something that I listened to and heard them speaking and all that. So it's kind of kind of in the back of my head a little bit. Can you converse with your Latin American teammates? Yeah, definitely. So I didn't I didn't realize I knew Spanish until after I got drafted and I started to talk to these Dominican players and other Hispanic players and I realized I was like, okay, I, I know a little more Spanish than I think and I was able to learn very very quickly. Um, and I would say I'm almost fluent now. You know what's interesting to me is everybody has a different story as to how they get here. And, you know, yet for, for every guy, I always say, who's a first-round pick, there's probably more stories like yourself, more of a later-round pick. You went to, you know, Jacksonville, and you went to, uh, you know, a junior college. When you were in high school, what did it look like from a recruiting standpoint? You know, honestly, I, I always thought it was going to be, I was going to go to college potentially as a first baseman or third baseman. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't know if it was if it would be a, a major D one or anything like that. But there was definitely interest uh, from some smaller colleges as a position player, and that's you know it was always you know want to hit the ball hard and far and the home runs and all that stuff. And um, you know that's how I ended up. I did commit to Jacksonville as a third base, first base, um, and then they kind of they switched me up to a pitcher there once I got there. And uh, after transferring out of Jacksonville because I wanted to continue being a hitter. Um, that's when the philo started to come, and I was like, okay, let's let's go ahead and focus on the pitching because that's going to be the future. Do you remember when you broke the magic number in 90? I do. It was uh, because when I went and tried out um, went and tried out for Daytona, and I was like 85-87. You know, but I was fine because I was a side, you know, sidearm guy. I'm going to junior college. Like, it's no big deal. Like, that'll, that'll play. And um, going through our workouts, you know, we had a very – very tough fall as far as workouts swim workouts and all this stuff waking up early and you know first first weekend of games i think i got up to like 88 and i was like oh snap i'm like this is i can let's let's keep working out you know i was like working out's working so you know kept kept pushing it hard and then the next weekend was like 89 i was like holy cow like there's no way that i could possibly be throwing 90 sidearm and uh, it was me and my roommate. We were actually we were both like both progressively getting stronger, and we were both progressively throwing harder. So we just kind of kept playing this little battle. And then I think he got to ninety one, and I'd only hit like eighty nine. And the next weekend, I jumped up to like ninety two. And he, you know, so he was like sitting around ninety one. The next weekend, ninety three. The following weekend, ninety four. And it was like it was the craziest. Like everybody that you know I played with, there, like it's the craziest thing I ever seen you tried out you were 85 87 and by the end of the fall of november you were 94 96 you know and it was like and i only the only thing i could attribute it to was like the workouts that we were doing so i was just like i stuck with them and and, and trusted in the process okay i'm gonna bounce i'm gonna bounce to now for a second because your reputation is that you can move a lot of weight in the weight room so whatever you were doing at daytona state kind of you continued in pro ball and obviously now in the big leagues yeah, it definitely carried over. Um, I definitely saw that, uh, okay, like the stronger I get, the harder I can throw. And at that point, I was kind of like, all right, I went from 85, 87 to 94, 96 in a span of three, four months. Like, let's see what an entire offseason can do, you know. And uh, I did the same thing. Worked out very hard my first offseason after, after getting drafted. And from being 94, 96, I came into that camp, and I was like 95, 97, touching 98. Went through that season. Uh, falling off season, same thing. Like, let's push the envelope. And I came into that camp, was like 97, 99, hit 100 for the first time. And I was like, wow. I was on. And uh, hold on, dude. Is that a bigger thrill hitting 100, 100 versus 90? I mean, 90 is going to get you recruited yeah. as a high school kid, big time. Yeah. Right? 
hundreds of different there's only a few guys on the planet who can throw that hard yeah no that one was definitely like and that's where the kind of like the motivation was like man we're like 96 97 like let's do it like we can i feel like i could still get i even today like i feel like i could still get stronger i feel like i can get back to you know throwing 100 and but yeah when you see that on the radar and it's it's like especially in the minors you just know it's like hey like you're throwing 100 so there's an opportunity to be a big leader simply off that number alone now like hone it in and get to the big leagues yeah so you always threw sidearm you weren't over the top and somebody said hey drop down i think you'd be more effective that way because that's usually how guys arrive at a lower arm slot yeah you know sometimes and it was myself that actually did it but yeah like you said you know sometimes like hey like i think it'll be more effective from this arm slot or hey you don't throw very hard from over the top let's drop it down and see if you can be funky or whatever and that was kind of the case for myself i was like you know what like I'm not playing a whole bunch. It's my freshman year at Jacksonville, and I was like, you know what? Let's let's find a way to get on the field. You know, it wasn't it wasn't hitting. It wasn't pitching very stock, standard righty over the top. So I dropped it down, and I could control it decently, and it had some had some good movement. So that's when I told the coach, I was like, hey, I think, uh, you know, can you take a look at this bullpen and, and see what you think? And they liked it, and they're like, let's let's kind of roll with it. Yeah. So I want to go to pro ball, and one of the things that's fascinating for me is that. 839. Do you know what that is? No. That was your ERA, your first year in pro ball. And you actually had, I think, a year, you know, maybe your second year, inflated ERA. You you know, you probably yeah. you want to forget those numbers. Yeah. But did you ever doubt yourself? Do you say, man, this is tough. I got a high ERA. I mean, you know, it's one thing to have a four. It's another thing to have, you know, yeah. that kind of number. Yeah. No, for me, definitely that first, that short season in pro ball, it was definitely a hey let's let's get our feet wet nerves were definitely there you know because for me like coming from a small d1 and then going to an even smaller junior college you know every everything only time i could think i was young you know i was inexperienced and i was thinking like hey like you're drafted but like you're playing dudes i went to lsu you're playing you're 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 pitching every time you go up there and pitch you're pitching against a one through five order of you know big d1s and all that stuff and i kind of let the moment get a little too big that year and it just seemed like everything was just kind of nerve related um, and then the same thing, you know, I, I, I came into camp. I was like, all right, I want to make a statement, right? Like, I want to make a statement. Come in. I'm throwing a little harder. I'm filling up the zone. Have a great camp. And in my head, I thought I was just going to repeat short season, had a bad year. Um, so I thought, you know, I'm going extended or whatever. And I ended up making that low eight team. And just kind of same thing. You know, I let the moment get too big. And I was – I just felt like I didn't belong. You know, I was like, man, I'm in low A. I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old, like – low round not you know not necessarily high round draft pick and all that stuff and I kind of let that get to me and ended up getting sent back down to short season and that's kind of where the the flip switch was getting sent down at the all-star break you know I'm on uh my mom had came up to Asheville and it's her first time being out there you know we're up in the mountains exploring and all that during the all-star break and it just get the call hey we're gonna send you down to down to down to short season you leave tomorrow morning you're going to Boise and it was just kind of like that moment I'm just like and it was just kind of a shock to me, you know. I know I wasn't throwing great, but it was uh, – I was like, all right, dude, you go down to Boise and you, you stink it up for another two months, you're, you're probably done. You know, so that was kind of like that moment in time where it's like, all right, it's time to stop being scared. It's time to stop being nervous. It's time to stop thinking you're you're outclassed or whatever. You don't deserve to be here, whatever. Whatever was lingering in my head, it was like – this is it. Like, this is, dude, this is make or break. And I went down to short season and completely changed that mentality when I was on the mound. I had a great rest of that half. And uh, falling spring, come in, throwing good again. Beal is up even higher. And I went straight to uh, – or I went back to low A. 
and I was a closer, throwing really great, um, throwing well, and then I got hurt, so I was done for the rest of that year. But that was kind of that moment where I was like, all right, let's we got to lock it in. More with Drew and Rockies reliever Justin Lawrence right after this. Boyer's Coffee is the best. I've told you for many years. I start my day with Boyer's Coffee, and in season, I have uh, two cups. I have this is what I do during the ball game. I have a mocha from the cafe around the corner on our broadcast level, which is the sweet level. But I also go downstairs and get um, just a regular Boyer's coffee, put a little half and half and sugar in it. And um, so I have both going during broadcast. Love my Boyer's coffee, and you can get it as well at your local market or have it delivered to your house simply by going to boyerscoffee.com. They have a multitude of flavors. They have all kinds of uh, great deals going throughout the year. So go to boyerscoffee.com. Brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. You'll be glad you did. Spring is upon us. That means you have to go to your local steel dealer and check out all of the toys they have. They're going to spruce up your yard. Got to do it, man. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. There's more than 10,000 around the country. Steelusa.com. Look through all of the things they have online from Every kind of power tool imaginable. I'm a big battery-powered guy. I've been telling you that as well for a long period of time. Uh, it's simple. They have long charges. Um, they're super powerful. So whether it's a chainsaw or a trimmer or a hedge cutter, any of those items, so many, many more, that you just have to go check them out. They got the orange background. They're unmistakable. Amateurs like us love it, and the pros love steel products as well. It's Steel USA, S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com, or SteelDealers.com. Now more with Drew and Rockies reliever Justin Lawrence. I remember your debut because you touched 102 in your debut, and that gets everybody's attention again, going back to the whole velo thing. Um, but it's a process. Do you believe that the mental side of this game, because all you guys, are, you're, you're the best in the world if you're here, right? The mental side, is, is that the separator among the guys that are able to stick and achieve at, a, at a, this level? Uh, I really think so. Um, I could even attribute that to AAA. You know, my first year, um, when I was there in 19, I skipped AA, went straight over, and I went straight to AAA from high A, and same thing. You know, I let that thought of, like, man, like, dude, you skipped AA. Like, nobody does that. Like, I've never heard of that in my life. And, uh, you know, I use that as an opportunity uh, to kind of learn from that and grow from that. And it was, um, like you said, so, like, we go, let's go back to the big leagues you get called up, right? You're a young guy, you're a rookie or whatever, and, and then you start to feel like you have a couple, a rough go at it at first, and then that lingering thought of like, man, do I belong here? Like, am I in the right place? Like, do I deserve to be here? All those things, and um, after my rookie year, you know, I start the year in, um, in AAA the next year, and again, I kind of had that realization. It was like, it's AAA, like, hey, like, you're, you're good. Like, you're a Major League Baseball player. You have Major League time. Uh, and then I was closer that year, and same thing. I'm like, this is only this is only two year separation from the first time I was in AAA and whatever. It's the same town of players. I'm the same caliber pitcher that I was, and I just realized it was strictly just mental. Like I all I all it was was just like 
me knowing that I deserve to be there or I belong and, and knowing that my stuff's good enough to get guys out and that kind of transition in the big leagues. Uh, I had some stretches last year that went, you know, went really well, some stretches that didn't go well. Um, and for me going into this year, it was like, all right, let's hone in on what did you feel on those stretches that you were really good. You know, and uh, I think mentally I'm in a I'm in a place where any moment doesn't really seem too big. Um, I learned a lot from that outing in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, going through that going through that order a couple times, and you know it was a uh, being that five nothing ball game and coming off a tough stretch. And you feel like guys that are maybe pressing a little bit, they'll see that moment of like, hey man, we're really fighting for a win here. You know, we're we're down in the dumps, like we're really trying to pull out that win. You might let that moment get too big and try to be too fine and. I think I really learned for myself that I was in that moment. I just I was able to slow the game down. I was able to provide those innings for our team, and uh, it's just a big learning moment for me. Just the whole season, you know, this whole season as a whole. Uh, just as far as even just the role that I'm pitching in so far this year, um, you would kind of think that going from pitching so-so innings the years prior, with a you know, there's a good bit of uh, of leverage innings in there, but this year a lot of them being leverage innings. And I actually feel more comfortable now than I did in years prior coming into a, hey, we're up by nine or we're down by nine. But it was just like the thought of like up by nine, down by nine, doesn't matter. I'm still pitching in a major league game. Now it's like, hey, like I deserve – the word the word doesn't deserve. I, I, I feel like I'm meant to be here, you know. Uh, so that's definitely something that's – I think the mental part of it for sure is, is could be that separator that takes a guy from the stuff – getting you to the big leagues and then being able to stay in the big leagues yeah is the ninth inning down the road or you know down the road could be tomorrow last night you pitched in the ninth yeah. inning obviously it wasn't a quote-unquote safe situation but you know close enough that you know a hit here or there and all of a sudden the time yeah. runs to the plate you know how baseball works but is that something that you feel like you've i know you did it in the minor leagues obviously but that's something that is a goal of yours that you see yourself as, hey, I got the stuff and I got the mentality to be that late-inning guy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you, you know, just growing up as a kid, like, you'd think, like, oh, I want to be that four-hole hitter that hits the home runs, or I want to be that, you know, a starter, or I want to be the closer. And uh, So nobody know. dreams about, I want to be the mop-up guy, I want to be the plus-seven or <laughs> yeah, minus-seven guy? <laughs> you, know, you, you know, it's like I would, uh, you know, you'd love to get to the big leagues. You know, for me, it was always – you know, growing up, like, man, if I if I just spent one day in the big leagues, that'd be enough. Then you get that one day in the big leagues. Now it's like, I want to, all right, let's get let's get a year in the big leagues. Right. Then it's like, you kind of realize, you see a little bit of success, and you're like, I don't, I wouldn't be satisfied. You know, if I if I walked away from the game right now or didn't pitch well for whatever reason, I, I never stepped foot on a baseball field again, I would, uh, I wouldn't be satisfied. You know, it's like I think there's like, you know, like you said, the fact that we're even having a conversation about possibly being a closer you know for a major league baseball team it's uh it's humbling and it's exciting that that's a true possibility and if that's the path that you know that I lead to um I would love that role you know I'd embrace it I think the the mentality is there to be able to handle that and stuff to go along with it definitely helps so Spilly and I laugh about this and talk about this on the air a little bit slider or sweeper sweeper is like the new term right yeah uh, I called it, you know, it's funny because it kind of kind of sparked a little, not controversy, but definitely got some people commenting and stuff like that online. Like, oh, why is it a sweeper all of a sudden? Da, 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 and all this stuff. And I, for me, the best way that I can explain it is just, it's just a subcategory of a slider, right? Like, 
you have a change up, a split change up, what a, uh, circle change, spike change, all that, you know, curveball, there's a 12-6, there's a what, 11-5, whatever, mm-hmm. slur, all those things. And it's like, why is just a slider just a slider, right? There's a gyro slider that moves completely different. And if you look at it on a track, it has completely different numbers than a slurve does or than the, you know, the, the aforementioned sweeper. They're all, you know, they're three different shapes. And I guess the best way I can put it is, like, if you're trying to help out a teammate, hey, he's got a, let's say he's a fastball slider guy, right? Your teammate says, hey, he's a fastball slider guy. Okay, but if he's throwing a cutter and a gyro slider, that's completely different. That's going to look completely different than if you say if he's a sweeper sinker guy. Those are those are four completely different pitches. So I think it benefits a player more to say, Hey, you're a, he's a he's a cutter, gyro slider guy versus saying he's just a slider fastball guy or he's a sweeper sinker guy instead of just a fastball slider guy. You know what's interesting when I and I've said this on the air several times about you, um, based on arm slot and based on what pitch we're talking about. Um, Adam Adovino, he throws three different, as you know. Yeah. But I always I always compare you to Adam Adovino a little bit. Is that is that fair for you? Do you think, uh, man, when I watch Adovino? I got some of his movement when it comes to, you know, vertical and horizontal uh, movement with his, and, and similar arm slot. Yeah, no, again, you know, it's something to hear. When you hear that, it's very humbling. It's uh, to be put in that same conversation as a guy like Adovino is, it's just like, again, it just kind of brings it all together in the moment. It's like, like you say, you know, you could possibly be a closer one day or you have really similar stuff to Adovino. And then you look and see the career that Adovino's had and the success he's had in the big leagues. It's like, I, I want that, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for that, I'm, I'm working for that, and, and if that, even if I have half the career that Adamino has, that would be, uh, that'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be a hell of a career. Yeah. What's Daniel Bard meant to you? Oh, everything, um, just the presence in the bullpen, the presence as a friend, being able to talk to him, and, uh, you know, he's a little bit higher arm slot, but the stuff is very similar, so some approaches that, you know, you saw his success last year, having a sub two, and just kind of his approach to really a lot of a lot of times I like to talk about lefties you know the approach to lefties you know um he's got a couple more pitches that he's able to kind of break off to those lefties so for me it's just like hey like how are you attacking these guys early in the count and stuff like that and you know just having that veteran presence in the bullpen I think for us young guys is uh it's important yeah you got another way left-handed but uh Brent Suter's an interesting guy isn't he yeah no he's a great guy to be around uh brings the energy he wants to win he wants this team to uh he just wants us to make sure we're up and and we're fighting every single game all right last one i'll leave you on uh i was talking to freeland the other day because i uh, wanted to see if he wanted to go play golf at a at a special place in philadelphia he was pitching the next day he couldn't but he'd gone out with you and serving and i forget who the fourth was and Trejo. Uh, okay and Trejo. so he gave me the breakdown he goes j-law's coming he's coming where's the golf game it's coming. <laughs> uh, uh, it's uh, it's something that I tell myself every offseason. I'm like, all right, I'm going to lock it in this offseason. I'm going to get good at golf. Like, the swing's got potential. You know, the power's there, whatever. Uh, just got to clean it up, you know. Just got to get a little more consistent. Uh, like I said, I just – if I can really dial it in, you know, get a handful of lessons or something. Um, the athleticism's there. I think it's just cleaning it up mechanically. Being able to be like – you know, it's kind of like pitching, like – you know, you yank a slider. It's like, hey, let's make a one pitch adjustment. Let's let's change the focal point or whatever. For me, it's in golf. It's like, if I take a bad swing, I don't know right away the adjustment. Right. So I think once I can kind of 
kind of dial that in a little bit, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. You know he has the built-in advantage, of course. Yeah. Starting oh, yeah. pitcher, yeah, relief got, pitcher. Yeah, got a little time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> J-Law, appreciate it, man. Good luck to you tonight. Thank you very much. Good man, Justin Lawrence, and uh, he's got friends down there. They're hitting guys out. Pierce Johnson comes home. Of course, the uh, Faith Christian product, he's thrown the baseball well. It's great to see Daniel Bard back in the fold. You know you know who's been great? It's Brent Suter. We're going to get Brent Suter on also. Brent's a charismatic guy. He's been around a long time. Of course, he's a Harvard graduate, so that makes him uh, interesting in the, in the world of sports. But that bullpen um, has, has been good for the Rockies, and Hopefully they have more opportunity going forward to um, close out games, to save games uh, for Colorado. But uh, the more strong performances we get from guys like Ryan Feltner, from Noah Davis, from Kyle Freeland, there are going to be more opportunities for those guys uh, to shine as well. You know who always shines uh, for me? Marky, who produces this show and engineers the show, and he does a great job. So I want to give a shout-out to Marky for all his uh, hard work. Oh, 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 before we officially get on out of here for this week, I would be remiss if I didn't have some sort of comment on Aaron Rodgers. Yep, they, they finally consummated the deal. Aaron Rodgers, after 18 years, leaves Green Bay. He is now a New York Jet. Having grown up in New York, and as you know, I'm a giant fan. Never had anything against the Jets. They, you know, they had their nice moment in the sun. Oh my gosh, uh, in, the, in the late 60s when Joe Willie guaranteed a victory in Super Bowl three, you know that story against the Colts. And they haven't done anything since then, nothing. So they've been searching and trying to find a quarterback for, for generations. And now they land on Aaron Rodgers. And I don't even know if it's the cynic in me, more just my eyes are wide open. I mean, this guy's gonna go down and rightfully so, as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Talent-wise, maybe number one. Certainly in the top five, right? That is not really debatable. And as recently as two seasons ago, he was the MVP of the league. On back-to-back occasions, no less. He has, I don't want to say he's weird, but he's weird. He's different. He's changed. I don't know if he's changed. I don't know the guy. But he certainly likes to draw attention to himself. And I'm wondering if he enjoys the attention for, I don't want to call them outlandish thoughts, going and making a big deal about going into a dark room for three or four days, whatever that was. But it seems less and less about football. And his performance wasn't great last year. And so I'm wondering, here's my point. I'm wondering, he goes to the Jets and everybody who follows the Jets is excited. We finally have a quarterback to go with a pretty good defense, and there's other pieces on the offense. The Jets now can be a legit contender. But I don't know how important football is any longer to him. Is he going to put in the time now in the offseason? Is he going to get with receivers and have them out to you know California or wherever the hell he lives in the offseason? Is he going to put in the same time and energy that he once did and now with a new cast to really give this a, a full go. And how long will it be? 
Are we going to be sitting here next offseason, the same thing, and there's going to be daily stories? Will Aaron Rodgers come back and play another year for the Jets? Or is he going to go off into the sunset? And then we'll have to wait uh, until he gets on the Pat McAfee show uh, for us to learn whether or not he's going to come back. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work, not because he's not uber-talented, not because even as he approaches 40, he can't still play at a high level. I believe that if he wants to, if the desire is still there, if the passion is still there, if the work ethic toward football is still there, he can make a huge difference with the Jets. But I don't know, based on what we've witnessed from afar, on the football field and off, over the last year, whether or not the passion still is there. So I just felt like I'd comment on that. We shall see. All the lights will be on him. The brightest lights of all, now that he's in New York, they'll be on Aaron Rodgers. And we'll find out fairly rapidly whether or not it's going to work or you're going to have a bunch of disappointed Jets fans for the umpteenth time. All right, that'll do it for uh, this week's edition. Next week, it is show number two. 100 200 so um we'll get that done then all right take care man thanks uh for listening every week and uh, for telling your friends stay safe stay well talk to you soon 